Hello, hello, and welcome back to Maple Flavored Murder. As usual, I'm your host, Joss. And I'm Becca. And today we wanted to cover a case that we're pretty surprised that it hasn't been covered very much, as it did happen in 2008, so 12 years ago. It was a fairly big, um, I guess, incident, if you want to call it that way. Um, it involves everything from, like, stabbing to cannibalizing to even, like, suspense, if you want to put it that way. Becca had actually stumbled upon it, like, a couple of weeks ago and told me to research a little bit into it before we decided this is what we wanted to cover. But, yeah, I was just, like, one of those, like, 1 a.m. YouTube, like, streams where I'm just, like, couldn't sleep, whatever. And I just, like, came across, like, a documentary on it from, like, The Fifth Estate. It was so good, and it actually, like, shocked me that I'd never heard of it before. Like, and it was so, it was, literally was not that long ago, and it was kind of fair, like, I guess kind of across the country from us, but it was still, like, a huge case. Yeah, and I guess, like, even from what I was researching after it happened, like, it made national news, and I don't remember hearing about it. I don't remember anyone talking about it. I don't either, and then it's kind of like, now that I talk about it to some people, they're like, yeah, I remember that, and I'm like what like tell me more like what do you remember (laughs) I've even had like I was talking to like a couple of our friends and I'm like oh my god like you'll see next week like this case is insane kind of giving them like the rundown of what it is Mm -hmm. like a little sneak peek you know and they're like what in the you know it is it's an intense one it's it's by far my favorite one that I've researched so far both for this podcast or outside of by far my favorite it's true. There's, like, a lot to it as well. Like, as, as much as it's pretty straightforward, like, there's a lot that's going on in the background. Uh, yeah, and it does as well. What I, I think I like about it is it does bring some awareness to mental health and how dangerous it can be if left untreated. That's very true. Yeah. So, without further ado, this is the Greyhound Bus Murders. Before we begin, we just want to take a quick minute to let you know that we are not experts in these cases. We are simply relaying the information that we've received through credible sources, as well as our personal opinions on the cases that we will be discussing. Our goal is to simply educate ourselves, spread awareness on unsolved or cold cases, and give the victims a voice. Please find our link sources in the episode description. We also want to take a quick moment for you to hear from our new friend over at Terrifying. So here she is. I'm stressed, I'm depressed, I'm shittily dressed, I'm Terry, and this is Terrifying. This podcast is going to talk about anything from serial killers, missing persons, and even unsolved cases. We're going to get into the paranormal world, and we're going to even talk about the cryptids that lurk in the woods. I hope you stick around, because this is going to be terrifying. Alright, so as usual... Well, I guess, like, not usual, because usually we just kind of jump right into the story. But uh, we're going to do a little bit of a pre-murder. So um, we're going to talk about Tim McLean first. His friend Tiffany LaBelle, who was a lifelong friend, said in the inter- in one of the interviews that I've watched that Tim was super active and restless. He was social. He loved people. 
So she had decided to give Tim a call and see if he was interested in coming to work for the Western Canada Carnival Circuit at the Red River Exhibition in Winnipeg. So, you know, he's super outgoing. He obviously agreed to do it. And the carnival eventually became his passion. And he eventually ran his own midway game at the carnivals. This kid loved being on the move, and he recorded his adventures for his friends and family to see back in Manitoba. His dad and stepmom said in an interview that his only goal growing up was to travel and be famous. And he never really, like, specified what he'd be famous for, but he knew he wanted to be famous for something. When And when traveling, Tim preferred to travel with the Greyhound bus because it's cheap and he said it was always cheerful and by the age of 22 Tim finally decided he was ready to put down roots in BC. Okay so I'm going to talk about Vince Lee. So he was born in China in April 30th in 1968. So in 1992 Lee graduated from the Wuhan Institute of Technology. So he actually got a bachelor's degree in computer science And he worked in Beijing um, as a computer software for a few years. And then he finally immigrated to Canada on June 11th, 2001. With his wife. I thought I would have it in there. Um, So they lived in Winnipeg for a while. They also joined a church and he eventually became a Christian. Uh, They did get separated. I wasn't able to find exactly when they did get separated, but they did. And even though Vince had, like, that super good, you know, I think it was a master's degree, he said, in computer science, he could not find any good paying jobs here in Canada. So it was a bachelor's degree. <laughs> it was a bachelor's degree? Yeah. Oh. Well, same thing. You know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> For the uneducated folks like me, same thing. But it's not. You totally know, he not. graduated <laughs> university with, like, at, like, a super high note, you know. Like, I only have my college diploma in paralegal. I dropped out of business school, you know. But he made it. He, you know, got far in university, and his degree is, it means that he's super smart. And like, in computer, computer science, that's insane. Like, that would take so much, like, cognitive, like, concentration and just being able to, like, all those little pieces and formulas in the software. Like, that's insane. I Bro, I can't even figure out how to work software yet. No. Like, I'm 23 years old. And I have no idea how the half the stuff in my cell phone works. I don't even know how I edit these episodes every week. I have no idea what I do. I, like, watch you, and it's honestly, like, magic. <laughs> I'm just like, wow. like <laughs> Bro, I watch myself, and I'm like, I think I'm doing this right. It's- so let me hit up the Google real quick. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, so all that to say, his uh, degree was um, a very big one. Let's put it that way. So he's super smart. But he couldn't get any good paying jobs here, so he would manage at, like, McDonald's or, you know, just little jobs like that. I also seen that he um, occasionally had a hard time with, like, communication-wise because, like, as being new moving here, he felt it was hard to not be able to communicate in his, like, um, first language. language. Yeah. Exactly. So, I mean, it's always hard learning a second language and then trying to... And then to, like, try to talk with people in another language that he might not have been very fluent with since he was, like, new immigrating to Canada, which I can imagine would be so hard. Well, man, like, think of us when we were, like, what, four or five years old, could not speak a lick of English, like, solely unilingual. I didn't even say that right. You know, like, I still struggle some words. 
I can only imagine what it is to be or to feel like you're moving from somewheres where you don't speak English or French very much and you're moving to a city where it's you know yeah and it's not just moving city to city like this is like a good country move right so like I feel like it'd be like a, a big culture difference like get just to adjust to things and like a different way of life and a different lifestyle yeah for sure so in 2005 Vince ended up getting diagnosed with schizophrenia which was left untreated Vince was described as not being able to participate in social conversations he would blurt out random things his mood always seemed kind of like out of context for the conversation he would be having with people. And um, Dr. Yarin, who was like a psychiatrist, uh, said that Vince was hearing voices in his head that Vince believed were God talking to him. Um, the voices would warn him of evil people and would order him to do certain things. And um, so on July 30th, Vince got on a Greyhound bus with a few bags and his laptop. He got on the bus in Edmonton. He also brought a hunting knife with him that he had recently bought at Canadian Tire. And his plan was to get off in Winnipeg, but he never did. He had a ticket to get to Winnipeg and then to Thunder Bay. But he ended up getting off in Ericsson because God told him to, the voice in his head. He sat on a bench outside of a co-op grocery store, and there was actually like a witness who saw him there. His name was Darren Beatty. I believe he was 15 years old at the time, and he was pumping gas into a vehicle, and he saw Vince arrive and saw him sitting outside of the co-op, and the next day, um, Darren came by and saw that Vince was still just sitting there, but this time had a note on his laptop that said, for sale, $600. Darren ended up going up to him to, like, see if he was okay and stuff, and Vince asked if he wanted to buy his laptop. Darren said that he didn't have much cash on him, so he offered 60 bucks, and Vince said okay with that. They shook on it, you know, and Darren took off with the laptop, and Vince boarded the next bus, which was the bus 1170. I just want to say, like, like, props to the kid for actually coming forward and, like, giving up that information as well as, like, the laptop to the authorities. Because, like, he totally could have just been like, nope, my $60 laptop, no thank you. But somebody actually did buy him a replacement one for his honesty. Which is like, wow, like, the world is nice sometimes. Like, like, he came forward with that information, and it was a from what I saw, it was, like, a business owner or something. Yeah. And he donated the laptop anonymously for, for, you know, obviously doing the right thing. Like, this was clearly something valuable to the investigation after everything happened. So when Vince got on the bus, he sat quietly in the front. You know, they rode, drove for a while. And after a meal break in Brandon, Vince decided to change seats. And this is when he went towards the back and sat next to Tim. Vince said that he picked that seat because Tim gave him a friendly acknowledgement and so when Vince walked by, he decided this is where I want to sit. And eventually, throughout the ride, Tim fell asleep. So, let's talk about the murder. <laughs> so, like we mentioned, this happened on July 30th of 2008. Um, so, Tim, that the week before, had been working at the Klondike Exhibition in Edmonton. And the carnival's next stop was Regina. 
So instead of going to decided he was going to go home in Winnipeg to make arrangements for his move to BC, friends had actually offered him to like buy a plane ticket for him, but he refused and he took the bus instead. And on July 30th, just after midnight, bus 1170 pulled up to begin his 24-hour journey to taking Tim home. So with all of this, Tim had a week off of the carnival, so he was excited to go home, see his friends and family, and start to get ready and make arrangements for his move to BC. <laughs> now here's the part you've been waiting for. The murder, baby. Okay. So we were watching some interviews with one of the witnesses. His name's Stephen Allison. Um, he was saying that before even getting onto the bus, he had a really bad feeling that got worse as soon as he sat next to Tim. Well, it was like the row next to Tim. It was kind of like Tim's at the window. There's a seat next to him. A row, Stephen Allison, and then his wife. He says that Vince was acting kind of like odd. Vince also had a two-liter bottle of Nesty and a roll of toilet paper with him that he would not let go of. Oh my gosh, I saw that. And it's like, whenever he wanted to go take a drink of his iced tea, he would literally, like, not let go of his toilet paper. He would, like, put it between his chin and his neck and kind of clench it. Chin in his chest, sorry. (laughs) And clench it there with his neck uh, and use it so he could, like, have his hands free to, like, take off the bottle, like, take a sip. And then, like, afterwards, like, immediately hold his stuff again, like. And, like, if I saw someone doing that, like, I, like, I will help you. Do you want me to hold this for you? Like, I got you. It's not going to get dirty. Like, I'll help you, man. Like, what's going on? Let's talk. And anyways, so closer to when the murder happened, Vince was rocking back and forth in his chair and, like, chanting something, but it wasn't another language. It wasn't in English, so, like, Stephen didn't understand it. Yeah, like, probably in his, like, first language, because that would make sense. Yeah, especially where there's reports of, like, Vince had a hard time communicating with other people in, like, the Winnipeg, Edmonton, and Edmonton area. His English is not, you know, his first language, and he's not very fluent in it, so... It, it makes sense. But I feel like in that moment, especially where you already have a bad feeling, like, I feel like that would make it so much scarier. It definitely would. Oh, my gosh. So, this is when Stephen knew that something bad was going to happen. He was going to say something about it, but then he thought, like, is this guy going to think, like, oh, great, someone knows, and then, you know, this would end up going after Stephen's wife, which he did not want. So, whatever. He just kind of sat still, like, stayed quiet, whatever. So, it eventually got dark out. And at this point, Vince is fixated on Tim. And, like, the super eerie part is about, like, Vince, like, just being, like, so, like, fixated and staring at Tim. is like, Tim is actually sleeping. Like, he passed out pretty much, like, the moment that Vince, like, sat now next to him because he didn't, they didn't really speak or anything. He just kind of said, like, they, you know, like, hi, like, seat's free, like, whatever, you know, and he, before Vince sat down. And then he, like, passed out against the window with his headphones in. So there wasn't really any interaction between them. Yeah, which, and especially, like, with the chanting, like, oh, my God, imagine being someone sitting there, like, watching you're like what do I do do I do something do I tell somebody like I need an adult like wait I am the adult fuck oh (laughs) 
<laughs> Whatever. Anyway, sorry about that. I know we don't usually swear, but... Pardon gonna, my French. <laughs> it will come out sometimes, and that is just the life of an average 20-something. <laughs> so, anyways, so Stephen was watching Vince, like, you know, being creepy, and he eventually saw Vince take out a knife, turn to his right, and start stabbing Tim. This is absolutely terrifying. Right? Like, that's literally, like, horror movie stuff. Like, ah, really? Like, okay, I'm minding my own business. I have a bad feeling, but, like, like, do I trust it? Do I not? Like, Like, dude, I'm just trying to take a bus trip. (laughs) Really? You know? So, um, wait, pause. Just to add a little bit of comedy to this, like, very sad story. Um, do you remember that, like, Aloma video? What was it? Like, drop. It's not drop at all. Um. Mama's with pots. Carl, that kills people. Like, someone, <laughs> this, uh. <laughs> Anyways. Oh, my God. So, whatever. Back to the story. So, Steven started yelling, stop the bus. Someone's getting stabbed. He ran to the front of the bus, yelling, pull over, and he's actually the one that ended up getting the bus evacuated, um, and so he came back looking to make sure everyone was out when he noticed there were three people who were trapped behind Vince. So this was a mother and her son and Stephen's wife. So he went back there to get his wife and that mother and kid, and when he got there, Tim had tried to jump over Vince and ended up landing in the aisle, like, right, you know, right next to where Stephen and his wife were sitting. And Vince ended up getting on top of him and just continued to stab Tim. Steve was able to help his wife and two others escape by climbing over the seats, and they all eventually got out. Um, at this point, there are some of the passengers that were trying to flag down people to come and help. Because this is on the Trans-Canada Highway, by the way. So, there was a truck driver named Chris Alguire. I think I'm saying that right. Um, who was also on the Trans-Canada that night that, you know, pulled over after seeing these people, like, freaking out. Yeah, like, you see a bus load of people. Like, it's literally the middle of the night, and you see a bus pulled over on the side with everybody piled outside. Like, that's not normal. There's something wrong. Yeah. And, like, especially, like, you can... I, you can see that they're, one, in distress. Two, like, they're trying to get people to come and help. Like, I can just imagine the shock in that moment. Like, I would not know how to react. And, like, I know you don't know how you're going to react to something until you're actually in that situation. But when I'm telling you, like, I don't know how I would react, I would probably just stand there with my eyes blank. I'm convinced that's how it would be. And anyways, so Chris, in an interview, said that he saw people, like, fleeing from the bus, and they looked terrified. The passenger had called him out for help, and when he pulled over, the passenger said, somebody's being stabbed to death on the bus. Chris ended up grabbing a heavy metal bar from his truck, and got on the bus with another man to con- to, to confront Vince. Like, my God, the heroes, like, coming in, like, they're like, somebody's being stabbed, and they're like, let me grab something, like, a freaking piece of metal from my back seat, and I'm gonna go see this dude. Like, I got this. Yeah, like, the, oh my gosh. 
friggin' hero. I love Chris. Um, but yeah, so they ended up going in there and uh, trying to confront Vince to try and stop it. Um, I guess Vince, when they got in there, Vince did not say a thing, and he was like expressionless, like nothing, just kind of stared them down, cold eyes. This is when Vince got down on his knees as Chris and this other passenger were watching him, and Vince started to like behead him, like literally cut his head off with a, all he had was a hunting knife from Canadian Tire and a pair of scissors, and he managed to cut off Tim's head. It's actually, like, like, imagine the amount of force. That's disgusting. I actually can't even begin to imagine, like, and to actually watch that, to be sitting there and being like, I'm gonna go confront this guy, and then you show up and you're like, cool, you don't have a head anymore. Like, no, like, Mm, I, yeah. That's, like, I don't think horrifying. that I'd throw up. I'd horrifying. throw up. I would puke. So, after he cut off Tim's head, Vince made his way towards the two men with the knife in one hand and Tim's head in the other. Like, I'm just thinking this picture, like, this is... This is literally things that we watch in movies. That's what actually blows my mind about this case. Yeah, and it's real life. This is burned in your brain. Like, ugh. Ugh. And, and then Chris shots. and Buddy, too, like, turn around and run so fast out of the bus, like, oh, my God. Like, I couldn't even, like, could you imagine somebody coming at well, you? Like, like, oh, my God. I'd be, like, tripping. I, like, I actually, I wouldn't get out of the bus because I would fall on my face trying to run so fast. I'd, I'd, like, be, I'd be throwing up and freaking like, out who's in my foot. One, phobia of puking. Two, is this guy going to get me next? Like, oh, my God. Um, so, you know, obviously, armed with only a metal bar... The two, like Rebecca said, got out of there quick, and they ended up barricading the door so that Vince wouldn't be able to get out. He <laughs> he was slashing at the door, by the way, his hunting knife, like, and literally, like, walking around with Buddy's, like, head in his hand, just, like, showing it off to everybody, like, in the windows. Literally, like, you know when a girl has, like, pockets in her dress and she has to show it off? This is what Vince was doing with Tim's head. It's almost like it's a trophy to him. Like, then it's, like this isn't your hunting game. Like, no. It's just so pretty much passengers watched Vince walking up and down the aisle with Tim's head, like you said, as if it was a prize. Once stabbing Tim repeatedly, Vince's instructions from, like, God, so the voice in his head, were to dismember the body. And Vince was so fearful that he had to do what the voices, so God, told him to do to prevent this, like, evil force from re-emerging and then killing him. So, by now, like, they barricaded the door. You know, all the passengers are out except for Tim and Vince, obviously. And the RCMP have showed up. But they've made literally zero attempts to get on the bus or to stop Vince from dismembering Tim's body. The only thing that they had was like a radio commentary of what he was doing and they would call him Badger like oh Badger's at the front of the bus kind of thing like they'd go back and forth just to so everyone would know and be aware of what was mm-hmm. going on. Newsflash Badger's not going to leave the bus because it's barricaded please do something about the important situation. Literally. Oh. Like, their strategy here was simply to wait him out, and this took over four hours to do so, as they started to cannibalize Tim. So, at this point, 
they're watching Vince, like, they, if he was reported to have eaten, like, three quarters of Tim's heart, he ate both of his eyeballs. <laughs> this is, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry to make jokes, but, like, all I can think about is, like, the scene from, like, Red Riding Hood, where, like, the, like, Red Riding Hood is, talks about, like, the eyes and the eyes, it's just, like, the wolf is, like, it's better to see you with my dear. Oh, my God. I'm like, I'm, I'm actually going to hell. Like, Ooh, we'll see you down there. <laughs> oh, my God. Anyway. Horrible. I'm sorry. Absolutely <laughs> horrible. And I feel so bad. Like, I, I can't even imagine how terrifying that has to be for you, everybody. If you want to feel bad about, you know, our, the way we entertain ourselves is someone literally had to die for us to be entertained by something. Someone had to go missing or, like, whatever. Something terrible had to happen to someone for us to be entertained by it. So, um, if that's not bad enough. <laughs> Why do you love true crime? Um, I think it stems from, like, all the childhood trauma that we've sustained. Um, I'm not quite sure. I'll let you know. Maybe it's, it comes, it's something to do with, like, all the anxiety or something. I don't know. But. I'll get back to you once I get I don't know, I feel like I'm pretty not traumatic. Traumatic. Oh, my God. Trauma. (laughs) Trauma. I don't know. We're going to come back to you when I can speak properly. At this point, I'm convinced that being a true crime addict or being a part of the true crime community is a personality trait, and it is just, it's who I am. It's, like, my favorite color is yellow, and that is just, it's just what it is, man. (laughs) I have anxiety the same way I have a love for true crime. I'm... I love serial killers. And it's just, it's a personality trait. And that's all right. So anyway, back to the story. I'm sorry, we go on suddenly offsprings. Like, <laughs> like, what offspring? I can't think of We go, like, off. Off topic. Yes. That's, that's the word. Okay, we still can't talk, but we're getting there. But, okay, back to the story, because this is actually, like, really entertaining. Not entertaining, but really interesting. Yeah, so after, like, I, it's about a little over four hours at this point. Vince tried to jump out of a window from the back of the bus, and this is when he was finally taken down by RCMP. So from the reports that I've seen, he Vince was tased twice and then handcuffed, and then they took him into custody. The next morning, forensics found pieces of Tim's body literally all over the bus, like everywhere. And... The sad part though is, and I find this like this for a lot of cases, and I find this is the most heartbreaking. Tim's mom, Carol, first heard of the incident through the news. Originally, she didn't think it was her son. She thought, oh, you know, he's home with his dad out in Winnipeg, like, but, you know, I'm praying for this guy's family. Tim's dad was the one who was told by, you know, Tim's friends who showed him the news and were like, this is Tim. It's not confirmed yet, but it's him. That's horrible. Like, I couldn't imagine having to learn from the news that your child has passed. Trial. Yeah, and, like, his mom, when she was finally told, and, like, it was Tim's dad who had called her to tell her, like, hey, what you saw on the news, like, it's not confirmed yet, but we know it's him. And she was Trying. just in disbelief. And I was watching some of the interviews with her and her kind of going back and explaining to when she found out. And, like, my heart goes out to her, man, and her, her dad, like, or Tim's dad, sorry. 
and any right. victims really that like they're it's one thing to lose your kid like especially with something so traumatic and you know but it's another thing to have to hear from it from the news or you know from someone other than right. if you I guess like an authority figure I guess then they're more so trained on how to deliver the news it still sucks and it still hurts just as much but it, right. I feel like it doesn't it just makes it hurt a little more I think it would yeah because you're not you're not getting right. that safe space to be told by like not like a professional, but yes, in the way, because it is a police officer. Like, Trial. from, like, that authority figure, like, instead it's, like, almost, like, disconnected because you're not, like, learning it. And, like, it's, like, really inappropriate. Trial. Was, well, like, literally, like, she heard over the phone, like, her dad's out in, his, I keep saying her, gosh, I'm sorry, Tim's dad is out in Winnipeg. Like, his parents were divorced. And, um, so Tim's mom Trial. literally found out from a phone call from Tim's dad, like, that, like, Trial. I don't know how I would feel about that. I feel like it's just heartbreaking. That is really sad. Yeah. So, exactly Trial. one week, so seven days after everything happened, Vince was brought to the psych ward of the Health Science Center in Winnipeg for a mental state to be assessed by um, Manitoba's Trial. chief of psychology, Stanley Aaron. So, Vince ended up getting charged with second-degree murder, and he went to trial on March 3rd of 2009, so almost a year later. He pled not criminally responsible on account of mental disorder, because if you remember, he he was diagnosed with schizophrenia in the year 2005. It was just left untreated, and he was pretty much having a psychotic episode. Trial. So... This is like a clear case of mens rea. The psychiatrist said that Vince's attack was due to God, so the voices, telling him that Tim was a force of evil and that he had to kill him. He had to get rid of him. Vince was having a psych episode for days before the attack and murder actually happened. And I have a quote here from Joyce Delman, who was actually the crown attorney during this trial. Mr. Lee, in my opinion, and the opinion of the psychiatrist, had no idea what he was doing was wrong. People who are mentally ill should not be convicted when they don't know what they did wrong. They need to be treated. I certainly agree that, in Mr. Lee's case, he needs to be treated for a long time. End quote. On March 5th of 2009, Manitoba court found Vince not criminally responsible and he was sent to the Selkirk Mental Health Center for treatment and was granted absolute discharge in February of 2017. I found two different dates for when his discharge was. I found either February 12th or February 10th of that year. I'm not 100% sure how credible it is, but those are the dates that I found. So he was actually released actually with no conditions, no restrictions, nothing. He is a free man with no criminal record today. Like, I can't believe that it was an absolute discharge. Like, I understand, like, there's mental health conditions and, like, I I understand, like, you know, sometimes you can find people that are not held criminally responsible. In some cases, that it actually is, like, a legit 
thing, not just a defense to just get it, like, you know what I mean? But also, I feel like only nine years of treatment to being completely discharged with no follow-ups, like, I feel like that's, like, for the, the severity of the crime that was committed, like, just what happens next time, like, say, if there's not, like, he doesn't go to, like, regular follow-ups. He doesn't have, like, a monthly checkup or something. What happens next time if he starts not feeling well? Yeah, yeah. and it's a very valid yeah. point. Like, my, like, my mom has the same opinion. Like, I totally get it. It's a valid point. Like, regardless. And actually, Tim's mom is thinking the same way. And yeah. she's very well expressed her opinions on this publicly. And I get it. He's committed yeah. the crime. He's confessed to it. Like, he's taken responsibility for it. But at the same time, I understand to a certain point. I mean, I, like, I personally, I have borderline personality disorder. So with that, I dissociate a lot. And a few years back, there are some things that I did that I don't necessarily remember doing, but that I know that were wrong. And I am just lucky that I didn't get caught doing them. You know, they weren't, I didn't kill anybody. But, you know... So I, I understand sometimes like your state of mind, if you have something that's untreated, regardless of if you're aware of it or not, I find, like, I, I understand though, but for the point here where he knew he was diagnosed and made the decision to not treat it, I think that right there deserves at least a small penalty, you know? Yeah, because it's, it's just like, if you don't take care of yourself anybody's mental health can deteriorate right exactly it's and it's just anybody could do it so it's like if you're not taking care of yourself and you go do something that's wrong if you're not diagnosed with something but you're just in a bad place mentally you're still going to be convicted of that crime and you're going to go to jail but because you have a diagnosis and you're not taking care of yourself and something happens like i'm not saying it's an escape goat and i'm not saying that i'm no judgment because I think that, like, it's possible that he doesn't remember anything that happened. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. But I just think that, like, there should be at least follow-ups or something to ensure that he's still going to take care of himself and to make sure that things go into a positive manner to make sure that he doesn't return to that state of mind. Yeah, see, that I agree with you. There should be some conditions to release, especially where his episode led to, you know, an attack, murder, and then cannibalism. Like, that's fairly extreme. So I like I definitely agree with you on that one. I believe there should be follow ups like every six months or at least once a year, you know. But um, I also saw when I was researching um, trial. I believe it was either the detective or the psychiatrist that he was talking to. Vince was a, Vince actually expected to get the death penalty for his crime, so he knew what he had done. He just didn't like know when he was like doing it, but. I agree with you. I believe there should be some kind of conditions. Yeah. Yeah. So. And there's that. Oh, I have a couple more, like, fun facts about this case, I guess. Um, he, after everything, after the release. Actually, I believe this is how his name was written in the court documents from what I saw. Um, Vince Lee changed his name to Will Lee Baker. And when police were awaiting out Vince trial all they could hear was Vince saying I have to stay in the bus forever and he actually tried to drive the bus too yeah. and they actually they pulled the stabilizer or like this was like an emergency yes. latch and the, the driver triggered it 
Yeah, I um, forgot to mention that. Oh, sorry, guys. Um, that was some fun facts. I love yeah. these. Also, we should do one more fun fact. <laughs> also, for this case, this is not really fun, but it's a fact. Trial. Um, yeah, I'm sorry, that was rude. <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> murder is never fun. We're going to clarify that. Keep going with your facts. <laughs> um, there, the first RCMP who had boarded the bus um, like that evening when they were Trial. You know, finally going into the bus after they got Vince, um, he never recovered from his trauma and like the shock that he received that night. And ended up taking his life in July of 2014. Trial. His name was Constable Ken Baker. Um, I actually have a, a little bit here from some of the articles that I saw. So Corporal Trial. Baker's sister said that his treatment was improving before his suicide. And Baker was still a dog handler, but was given assignments to avoid murder scenes. She said that he began having flashbacks Trial. when the media started reporting about Vince's updates. So, his sister and his Trial. wife said that they had saved him before from a suicide attempt, but this time they were unsuccessful. And, uh, yeah, like we said, Vince is now free with no Trial. obligations, no restrictions, and no criminal record, which I find is, I'm, I mean, I'm all right with how, what his Trial. sentence, I guess, if you want to put it that way, was. But um, I believe there should be some type of conditions, some type of restrictions, and there should be at least, like, a low-level criminal record. Yeah, like, at least something, because, like... You still took someone's life. Yeah. You still ate no. someone's eyeballs. There's... Like... There's you, still... There's still chance and there's risk to everything, and just mm-hmm. having that not knowing. Like, with a clear criminal record, you can work no. anywhere, right? Yeah. So, like, I just... Like, here's... Like, I know, like, and I'm talking, like, I got, I've got, like, we both do, we both suck, we both have, you know, some mental disorders, but there are minor ones, like, anxiety, yeah, anxiety, depression, BPD, whatever, um, and just having a bad client at work will trigger my anxiety, or Mm, will trigger anger, and what if, and I'm on a medic, I'm on three types of medication for it. And I still, I, like, I need to get checked every four months, so I'm wondering why Trial. that's not the same with other type of mental disorders, especially where it's ended up very badly and had to go to trial and, you know. Yeah, I wonder, like, I know that maybe there's not something, like, with the court specifically anymore, but I wonder if there's maybe, like, Trial. a medical thing, like, with his doctor that he's required to. Mm-hmm. But, like, I'm wondering if that would be less of a requirement and more of, like, He's aware of what can happen if he goes untreated. Yeah. Like, so he does this, you know, like, I need to get better. I can't have this happen again. Like, there's like, um, I do have a friend, actually, her cousin is schizophrenic and he was treated, but wasn't and then stopped for a while and started trying to treat it himself. And it, it, it's a very messy, um, mental illness. I'll, I'll give it that. Like, I have never experienced it firsthand. I don't know anyone who's had it, but I do have that one friend with her cousin who they are literally best friends. But, um, he and he's doing a lot better now, but in the past, like, it's been a rough go for that kid. And, like, especially here's what I'm thinking too is like, Vince got divorced, and then, like, a few years later, gets divorced with schizophrenia, and he's all alone. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what my opinion on this is. 
100%. I feel like I'm on both sides for this. I feel like it's really hard because you can... It's trial. Like, as an empath, you can be like, okay, but, like, what were they feeling? Like, how were they in this situation? Like, what was going on with them? Because I feel trial. like nobody in a sane state of mind is going to do, do these that. things, right? So, like, there has to be something trial. wrong mm-hmm. or something that's triggering it. So, like, it makes... Like, it makes sense to see, like, why that, like, you know, it's, it's easy to kind of, like, play yourself advocate because you're like, hey, like, what sure. was going on in your life that made you feel so bad that, like, these things were happening to For you? sure. Like, every serial killer yeah. that we, you know, that we know, like, there's something wrong in your head that you're doing that. You're not just doing, like, mm-hmm. uh, Not right. saying it's okay that their actions are justifiable by anything that yeah. happened to them in the past because, like, you yeah. know, you're responsible for your own actions and your own person, but also, like, it's hard sometimes. But the thing is, is, like, I'm not going to use the word normal, but the average person does not wake up one morning and think, um, I'm going to go, you know, end someone's life today. This is not, like, it's not a health, a a sign of a healthy state of mind. No, yeah, totally. So that's, I don't know. Nope, just on Sundays. It's just, I feel like it's like a double trial. I don't know. That's, I'm conflicted with how I feel about this, this case. I find it's very interesting. Definitely. And one thing that also kind of grinds my gears um, is the fact that, like, this isn't the first time there's actually been attacks on a Greyhound bus. Right. Back in 2001, so this would have been, like, seven years before um, Tim's death, there was an attack on a Greyhound bus. So October 3rd, 2001. This is actually in the States, though. Um, so it was in Manchester, Tennessee, but it was still like the Greyhound bus system. The company. Yeah, same company. So, uh, Damir, I apologize, I'm probably not going to say his last name properly, but in Greek, he was 29 years old, um, and he boarded a bus going from Chicago to Orlando, Florida, carrying 39 passengers. Um, so it was said that during the trip, Dinner was going up to go see the driver Trial. a few times being like, hey, when are we going? When are we going to arrive? Kind of seemed like uneasy and like mm-hmm. restless. Um, and even kind of tried to bother one of the passengers near the driver to switch seats, which they were kind of like, no, comfortable thing. Weird. Like, I'm good. Um, so it happened a few times we were to bother him. And then like on like the last time, Dinner like did not even say anything Trial. at all to the driver and just pulled out a knife and lunged at his neck. And, like, tried to grab the wheel of the bus to yeah. crash into, like, the oncoming traffic. Like, which, like, that's... remarkably, Garfield Sands, which was the bus driver, survived the attacks and managed to, like, come forward to tell his side of the story yeah. as well. But because of that crash, there were, I believe, six people that were, that passed. Wow, well, I didn't even know about that. Um, another thing about yeah. Greyhound, real quick. Last day, I swear to God, I promise you. The Greyhound bus company motto before was, there's a reason you've never heard of bus rage. Trial. And meaning, you know, you're safe on a bus. It's a safe way to travel. After the Tim McLean accident, they ended up changing their motto. Like, which also, like, that's Trial. super, like, what is that word? A cold, not, ironic. Ironic. My God. It kind I gotta, of gotta pull out the thesaurus real quick. <laughs> Ironic. Yeah, because like that's their motto, but also like their motto was still that after the first trial incident. So it's kind of like 
it changed, but, like, there was still an accident the first yeah. time, so, like, the bus raid should have been uh, dropped sooner. Like, <laughs> Oh, my, whatever, you know? So, now, every time that yeah. I travel on the Maritime bus, because we're over in New Brunswick, right? Every time that I will travel on the Maritime bus, I will think of this and just hope to God yeah. that the person sitting next to me does not want to to kill me. So, that is today's story. Um, Traveling cars only. Yes, (laughs) in pairs of two, because you might need a second person to go in the bus with, you know, the metal bar. Carry that in your trunk. Carry the shovel. Get your seat, buddy. Do Mm. not sit next to no one else. You've got to travel in pairs. Honey, the seat is taken. (laughs) Um, Yeah, actually, that's um, for my pet rock. Um, He doesn't like sharing a seat. You know, just anything. Use an excuse. They'll think you're weird, but that's better than being dead. True. So that's that. So thank you so much again for tuning in. We super appreciate your support. If you want to go ahead and give us a follow on Instagram at Maple Flavored Murder or on Facebook, same thing, at Maple Flavored Murder. Give us a five-star review, whatever on Apple Podcasts, share the episode with your friends and family. We would super appreciate it. We would love you lots. Thank you so much, and we will see you next week. Bye.